Welcome to week three of It's Okay Not to Be Okay on Your Way to Getting Okay. This is a mental health series. 90% of all Americans say that we're in a mental health crisis. We've been looking at stress and burnout. Last week I talked about worry and anxiety. And this morning I want to talk about the mental health crisis of loneliness. According to American health statistics, one in every three people are regularly saying that they are lonely. And there's lots of physical effects of that. For example, 29% increase in heart disease just because of loneliness. 32% increased risk of a stroke because of being lonely. And for those who are senior adults, there is a 50% increase in the likelihood of dementia. If you do not have a supportive network of connections and relationships. But listen to this. All age groups are negatively impacted by loneliness. However, the most pronounced age group is between age 15 and 24. That 15 to 24 year old age bracket has lost 70% of their social connections in the last several years. So why is this an issue? I think there's a couple reasons why people are lonely. First is pace of change. Pace of change has dramatically increased over the last 30, 40 years. We're just super busy. We're running from thing to thing, and we're shallow, and pretty much everything we are, we're just skimming life. We're just running. Uh, people are moving and changing jobs more frequently. It used to be a person would have a job and work for 30 or 40 years in that job, and then they'd retire with a pension. Today, the average American worker has 12 different jobs throughout the course of their lifetime. Technology has certainly changed the way that we communicate with each other. The continued erosion of the traditional family unit with a two-parent home with a mom and dad. So in 1960, three out of every four children were being raised in a two-parent home, mom and dad. 20 years later, in 1980, it was 61%. By the year 2000, less than half of all children in America are actually being raised in a two-parent home with a mom and dad. Lastly, I think that there's a growing disconnection with God. Uh, less people are going to church, which means less social interaction, which means more mental health issues. Study after study continues to show that people who have vital connections within a local body of believers are healthier physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually than those who don't. Add to that an increasing sense of disconnection with God in general across the culture, and people are just seemingly less interested in God. Maybe it's because of the pace of life, maybe because we're just running faster and faster. But the reality is God has seemed to take, be taken off of like central focus and moved off to the side and marginalized. And as God is marginalized, mental health issues go up, particularly as it relates to loneliness. 
Well, were there lonely people in the Bible? Yeah, every major biblical character, Old Testament and New Testament, experienced seasons of loneliness. For example, Adam, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Think about what that means. The Bible says that God and Adam walked through the Garden of Eden every night in the cool of the day. And yet, God looked at Adam and said, something's missing. I will make a suitable helper for him. Joseph, I'll get to Joseph in a minute and explore his story a little bit later, but Joseph was sold as a slave by his brothers. He lived in Egypt, not knowing the language, not knowing the culture. He was utterly alone. Elijah, remember that story of Elijah on Mount Carmel? Calls down fire from heaven and all kinds of crazy, wonderful things happen. And then Jezebel puts a contract out on his life and he runs into the wilderness and goes crazy and he's depressed. I'm going to talk about him next week, depression. At one point, he said to the Lord, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left. King David Psalm 38, 11, because of my wounds, my friends and neighbors avoid me and my relatives stay far away from me. Jeremiah the prophet, known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah not only experienced intense loneliness, but he also wrote a poem about the loneliness of Jerusalem. How lonely lies Jerusalem, once so full of people. Once honored by the world, she is now like a widow. All night long she cries, tears run down her cheeks. Then, of course, there's the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. Paul's last letter he ever wrote was second, uh, the second letter to Timothy, and he said these words, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me may it not be counted against them. I have visited the Mamertine prison in Rome where Paul and Peter were imprisoned. It's a circular prison. It's not that big. It's dark. It's damp. It's rat infested. And the only way you can get into that prison is by being lowered down. There's a hole in the ceiling and it's lowered down into that prison. There's no possible way to escape. There is no natural light. It's a depressing place. And layered on top of that is the Apostle Paul of all people. And he's got no one. May it not be held against them, Paul says. And then, of course, there's Jesus. On the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Loneliness is rampant in the Bible. So how do we handle it? Loneliness is rampant in our culture. What do we do? This morning I want to suggest four things that every person should do. If it's really true that one in three people in America are experiencing loneliness, look around you today. Every third person is sitting there going, oh, I hope he has a good word for me. Let's begin. How do you overcome loneliness? Number one, I I think we should accept loneliness 
as a normal part of life. Psalm 25, 16 says, Turn to me, Lord, and be merciful to me, because I am lonely and I'm weak. I hope that you've been picking up on a theme over the last three weeks, including today. And the theme is this. There's a difference between a season and a lifestyle. We all have seasons of stress and burnout. But that shouldn't be our lifestyle. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that you could squeak by in life. John 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and more abundant. You will have seasons of anxiety and worry. But we shouldn't be living in a sense of always being anxious and always being worshipped. Jesus has something better for you. The same can be said for loneliness. You and I will experience seasons of loneliness, and if we just normalize it and accept it, we'll be able to handle it a lot better. If you've just moved or changed jobs, you will be lonely. If your child just started kindergarten and you put them on the bus for the first time, you will be lonely. And then you'll run around the house like crazy saying, I got three hours. What do I do? This is great. If you've dropped your kid off at college on the way home, you'll be lonely. If you've had a close relative or friend who has died, you will be lonely. If you just broke up with your boyfriend, you'll be lonely. You are going to feel lonely because, listen, all loneliness has to do with loss, which is grief. And grief must do its work. And there's no timetable to it. I love what A.W. Tozer said about loneliness. He said, some say brightly, oh, I'm never lonely. Christ said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, and I am with you always, so how can I be lonely if Jesus is always with me? Now, I don't want to reflect on the sincerity of any Christian, but this stock testimony is too neat to be real. It is obviously what the speaker thinks should be true rather than what he proved to be true by the test of his own experience. I think what Tozer is saying is this. We know in our heads that Jesus is with us, but sometimes our heads and our heart are not always perfectly aligned. And there's a difference between what we know Christ does for us and sometimes what we feel Christ does for us. It's just being normal. Number two, I think we should embrace loneliness as a catalyst to get closer to Jesus. Loneliness is not necessarily a bad thing. It can be a very good thing. Luke 5.16 says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. In other words, Jesus intentionally sought places, getting away from people for extended periods of time so that he could press into his father, and you and I are called to do the same. 
Joseph, who I mentioned a few moments ago, was one of the loneliest people in the Bible. In fact, at this moment, I cannot think of anybody in the Old Testament or the New Testament that was lonelier than Joseph. Joseph, around 17 years old, was sold into slavery by his brothers. How traumatic can that be? So he left his family system. He was um, purchased by some um, traders that went on down to Egypt. They resold him to a guy by the name of Potiphar. And just when you thought things were getting really good for Joseph, he's climbing up the ladder. He's now the head servant. He's unjustly accused of something that he didn't do. And now he's thrown into prison, knocked down again. Bible scholars think that Joseph stayed anywhere from three to 10 years in prison. And there's a little phrase in Joseph's story that's easy to miss. And the phrase is this, he was in irons while he was in prison. But listen to me, the isolation of prison was the best thing that could have happened to Joseph. You know why? Because it was in prison that Joseph realized God had not forgotten him. And these iron chains that he was in on a regular basis forged an iron saint. He knew how to stand on his own without the approval of other people. And this would bear him well as when he became the, the, you know, the prime minister of Egypt because he was able to interpret correctly the dreams of Pharaoh. He was able to make decisions and stand and say, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to do this. And he didn't have to run around trying to seek people's approval all the time. Loneliness deepens us if we'll let it. I think we're afraid to be lonely but I think we should embrace it. God does his best work in the dark. Loneliness deepens us. Many people do not know how to be with themselves, afraid of what we might think or feel. So we're constantly distracting ourselves. We have the TV on in the background. We have music playing in the background. We always have a screen up someplace because we don't know how to be with ourselves. Can it be that God is calling you to lonely seasons so that he can speak to you and remind you that I will never leave you nor forsake you? There's a difference between being alone and lonely. You can be lonely in a crowd. Some of the loneliest people I know are people who are married because they're on parallel paths, but their lives are going in different directions. Loneliness also deepens your prayer life. Job experienced loneliness on a level that you and I probably will, will never know. He lost everything. His health was broken, his wealth was destroyed, his means of support was taken away from him, his position in the community was lost, and the only thing God didn't allow to be taken away from him was his cranky wife. <laughs> but Job kept praying. Job prayed some really terrible prayers. Come on, go back this afternoon and read through the book of Job, and you'll be shocked at the things that Job said to God. Job accused God of injustice. Job cursed the day that he was born to God and wished he was dead. He said things in God's face that most of us would say are frankly disrespectful. And yet at the end of the book, 
God says something, to me, amazing. God speaks to Job's three friends. And he says to them, I am honored by Job. And you should have Job pray for you that I might not destroy you. What? How on earth did Job honor God? The answer is right in front of us. Job kept praying. Keep the conversation going. You have a choice in loneliness. You can get ticked off at God because, you know, we just have this image where Christians are always like, filled with relationships and you're ticked off because you don't have any relationships and before you know it, you begin to take a step away from God and you're just frustrated at life. You know what Job did? You know what Joseph did? The prisons that they were in, they stepped in rather than stepping out. And when they stepped in, they discovered an intimacy with God that they did not experience beforehand. Everybody in loneliness has a choice. You either step in or you take a step back. Three, ask the Holy Spirit to teach and to guide you. There's been another theme that's been running through these messages that will continue in the next couple weeks. And the theme is this. The only God you have access to this side of heaven is the Holy Spirit. Where's God right now? God the Father, he's up in heaven. Where's Jesus? He's up in heaven too. But Jesus said this in John 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send the spirit, the comforter, who will teach you all things and remind you of the things that I have said to you. We ought to become friendly with the Holy Spirit. We ought to ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. We ought to ask the Holy Spirit to teach us. I think we should ask the Holy Spirit to lead us into right relationships and away from wrong relationships. And he will do so if we listen and obey. So let's say you meet some people at school or at work and as you get to know them, you watch how they act and how they treat other people and you sense that they're disrespectful, they are not godly and they do not bring out the best in you. That's the Holy Spirit giving you discernment, putting a check in your spirit saying, be careful. Don't allow them into your life in any great depth. They will hurt you. It's not good for you. If you ignore the Holy Spirit, what do you think is going to happen? These people will eventually bring you down. The Holy Spirit has a better way. If you will lean into the Holy Spirit and just ask him on a regular basis, the Holy Spirit will begin to show you people that you didn't see before as you're looking beyond them to say, hey, why don't you just go talk with them? Hey, why don't you take them out to lunch? Hey, why don't you text them and say you're praying for them? And that could be the beginning spark of something meaningful. Lastly, take the leap of faith. Ecclesiastes 4, 10 through 12 says, two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone, they're in real trouble. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. 
three or even better for a three-braided uh, cord is not easily broken. What, what does this mean? If you are experiencing a season of loneliness, that means you're also feeling loss and vulnerability. And the last thing that you want to do when you're feeling vulnerable is to be proactive and reach out. You want everybody to reach out to you. You're sitting there in your living room all by yourself praying, oh God, bring me a friend. I get that, and I've been there. But, but, but you know what Ecclesiastes is saying? You go get yourself a friend. You don't wait for people. I wish it were like that, right? I wish that you know people would just be calling you up and calling me up all the time. Hey, let's get together. Hey, let's do this, right? But the reality is, is that if we're going to build meaningful social connections, you and I are going to have to take the leap and we're going to have to be proactive in this. So let me just close by offering a few thoughts on building relationships. This is, this is not rocket science. I'm not saying anything profound, but let me just remind you of things you already know. Just show up. Show up. You need face-to-face interaction with others. So invite people over to your house or go to a park and meet people there, go for a walk or go for a walk at the mall. Does anybody go to the mall anymore? I don't know. I haven't been to the mall in a long time, right? Every time I go, another store is gone, right? Just show up. You ever say to yourself on a Sunday morning, I don't want to go to church. I'll watch online. There's nothing wrong with watching online. We have lots of people that are online that are sick, that are homebound, that have autoimmune issues, that can't be around people. I totally understand that. That is like, online church is like the A plan for a lot of people. But if you don't fall into those categories... Just showing up, something could happen. A random conversation in the lobby. You're going in and out of the restroom and somebody says, hi, hey, what's your name again? And that could spark something. Just show up. Show up in your community. Show up at school. Look around. I think some people look around for that one special friend and they're so intent on looking for that one special friend that they don't even see the people all around them. They're looking beyond them. And they're not seeing the people already in front of them that they could have a meaningful relationship with. Here's a question. Am I doing anything that's hurting my relationships? Um... Are you overly negative and critical? You do know that you're going to attract who you are. So if you don't like the friends you have right now, that says something about you, not them. Have you learned conversation starters? You know, all right, this is like too much Mark, right? Probably shouldn't say this. I go on websites fairly frequently and look at conversation starters. Because sometimes I show up at places, I don't know a soul. And I'm like, well, I just can't stand there. Hey. You know what I mean? I, I mean, I actually have to have conversation started. So sometimes I'll go on a website and I'll be like, okay, four questions to ask when you don't know a soul. 
<laughs> and I memorize the four questions. <laughs> I do, right? So when I meet somebody, I start first. Hey, why are you here today? Tell me a little bit about your background. I mean, it's not hard. Do you look people in the eye? Do you have bad breath? I'll never be accused of being profound. Do you have body odor? Did you take a shower? Right? I mean, come on. You ever talk to people and their breath is like so overwhelming, you're like, wow. I can't even remember your name. It's like, right? So take a shower every day. Brush your teeth. Floss your teeth. Right? And go to the website and get some conversation starters. Do I really want to serve people? That's a good question to ask. Because when you're struggling with not having meaningful social connections, there's a tendency to make it all about us. Oh, we wish that this would happen. We wish that that would happen. You know what I've discovered about serving? Serving is like relational glue. You know what's so cool about Ninja Warrior Camp that we just had, you know, several weeks ago? We had about 330 children and teens. We had 170, young, uh, 170 helpers. That's a two-to-one ratio. And you know what happens during Ninja Warrior Camp? You, you begin talking to other people, and that one week of service, you begin to build a little bit of a relationship with somebody. And then the next time you see them at church, it's a little bit easier to make contact. Serving is relational glue. And if you want to have friends, you have to stop thinking about yourself and your own needs, and you have to start thinking about them and their needs. So let me tell you a story. When I was 14 years old, my family moved from upstate New York to lower Bucks County, Richboro area. Um, in New York, I lived in the same home since I was five years old. I went to school in the kind of school that you started at kindergarten at one end and it was a horseshoe. And by the time you were in 12th grade, you were all the way around the horseshoe. My graduating class was 100 students. In New York, we went to a vibrant church that had a large youth group. And I didn't even know what loneliness was. But when we moved, we happened to purchase a home that was not in a neighborhood. It was on a busy road, so there was really no neighbors. And I moved to a school that the graduating class was 798. And we went to this Nazarene church that was dying and had no youth group. And for the first time in my 14 years of life, I was like, I'm lost. I don't know anybody. I was the last stop, right, on the bus stop to school. I was the last stop before we actually got to school. And so by the time that I would get on the bus, I just would 
literally step up on the bus, look at the bus driver, say hi. I look back. Every seat was taken with two people. And no one was pushing in to have me sit down. So I would just... And one butt cheek would be hanging on and one butt cheek would be hanging off. And that's how I rode to school every day. And I was just like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. It was just disorienting. We lived across the street from Tyler State Park. And so I'd come home from school. I'd change my clothes. I'd get my running clothes on. And I'd go over to Tyler State Park. And I'd run and spend the rest of the afternoon there and get home, have dinner, and then do my homework and go to bed. I did that for a year. One day at this dead church, there was an announcement about a teen singing group called the Impact Team that would travel around once a month to various churches and sing. And something inside of me said, you should try out for that. And then something else inside of me said, no way, that's way out of your comfort zone, right? But the voice kept getting louder inside of me. And so eventually I filled out an application and I went to a place where they were auditioning and lo and behold, I was accepted and I was part of the group. What I didn't realize at the time is, is that it was like no boys were trying out. So if you were a boy, you automatically got in. It didn't even matter if you could sing, <laughs> right? And then I realized 80% of the team is girls. Thank you, Jesus. You are so good to me, Jesus. You know my needs, you know? And so for the next two years, once a month, this group of 20 teens would just drive around to various churches and we'd hold a concert on a Friday night. We'd hold a concert on a Saturday night. We'd get home late Saturday night. We'd go to church on a Sunday morning. And that group, got me through the next two years before I went to college. Psalm 68.6 says this, God sets the lonely in families. School was still hard, still didn't have any relationships, still was going to a dead church, still went for a run every day that the weather was good across at Tyler, Tyler Park. I did all those things, but something was different. Two things happened in those two years. The first is God provided for meaningful social connections through that youth ministry singing. The second is I received a call to ministry. January 1st, 1979. I remember it clear as day. And I look back now and I think, you know what? My story's unique. Your story doesn't have to be like my story, that kind of a thing. I'm just saying for me, God used those three years of loneliness to shape me so that I could hear his voice in a way that maybe I couldn't hear it if I was so filled with so many distractions. And those three years set the course of my life for the next 10, 20 years. And I look back on those three years now, going to a dead church, no youth group, 
just seeing my friends once a weekend, once a month, and I think I wouldn't trade those days for anything because they helped shape me. One in three adults, one in three 15 to 24-year-olds struggle with loneliness. So I'm guessing today that we have a lot of people that are in a season of loneliness. I think you should normalize it. I think you should do everything you can to create meaningful social connections. I think you're going to have to take the first step, right? But I think you should take this time as an opportunity to press into the Lord and to say, what, what are you saying to me? How do you want to redirect my life? And God will use a lonely season to do some really beautiful things inside of you. After every death, there's always a resurrection. That is the story of Jesus. Would you stand, please? Every week in this series, we're just providing an opportunity uh, to come to an altar to pray or to, we have some folks on both sides here that will be there to have prayer with you, to anoint you. This doesn't have to be about you being, you know, going through a, a dark season of loneliness. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you're struggling with anxiety from what I talked about last week, or maybe something happened this week that you're just so stressed out over. We, we just want to offer support. And so if you want to come to these altars as the worship team closes out the service, well, you just come. Nobody's going to bother you. Nobody's going to say anything. Nobody's going to ask you any questions. You just come. The altars are a safe place. It's a step of faith. Yep, it's going to cause you a little bit of stress. Yep, it's going to cause you a little bit of anxiety to get out of your comfort zone. I get it. God's going to reward you for that. He just will. Every step of faith, God rewards. If you are in a position where you need prayer today, we have people right over here, right over here, that are going to pray for you. Let's bow our heads together. God, you promised that you would set the lonely in families. And we are so grateful for that. We understand that in seasons like this, you do your best work. So would you help us to see this moment as an opportunity to draw closer to you. For people in this room and online who don't really have a meaningful relationship with you, would this be a moment that they open up their life and say, Jesus, come in to the best relationship that they're ever gonna have. Give them the courage to drop their guard. For people who have been hurt by relationships and they're gun shy, and they've said something in their heart like, I'm never going to open myself up again to being hurt like that. Would you do a healing work in their life right now? Would you heal that hurt that stemmed from a relationship that went awry? And would you help them to see that you don't want their life to be defined by that? you have something better for them. So God, these next few moments, Holy Spirit, speak, heal, lead. Show us what we need to take away from today and we'll give you honor and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.